Good morning. As we begin our worship time today, we're going to sing this song that has been our theme song for this series of paying attention. So one of the important components of, of paying attention is staying awake. So that's our starting place today. Um, we've sung this already a couple of times, so you'll get an introduction, uh, and then follow me, and we'll all come in singing together. Uh, so be ready for a cue to stand. Okay. Stay awake. Be ready. Good morning. My name is Allie, and I'm one of the ministers here at Calvary, and it's so great to see each and every one of you here this morning. We're so glad you're with us in this place. If you're new to Calvary, we want you to know that you're welcome. Whether you've visited Calvary before or are visiting any church for the first time, we would love to have the chance to follow up with you and continue getting to know you. The best way for that to happen is if you fill out this visitor card in the back of the pews. And if you just place it in the offering plate later in the service, we'll be sure and follow up with you. Everyone will also need a worship folder this morning. And if you haven't gotten one yet, they're located at the back of the sanctuary. You might notice that there is a flower on the organ this morning. As some of you know, that means that there is a new baby we're welcoming into our congregation. Noam Nelson Limley was born last week on August 8th. Both parents and big brother Graham are doing well and thrilled that baby Noam has finally made his entrance. We'd ask that you keep the Limleys in your prayers as Megan is back at home, but Noam will remain in the NICU until at least August 15th. He's off all of support, but he's doing really, really well, so let's still remember them as they journey through having a baby in the NICU. We also want to acknowledge some special friends in our midst this morning. Mitch Randall and Cliff Vaughn, who are with Ethics Daily, are worshiping with us today. 
They have been and will continue working on filming short documentaries spotlighting women in ministry. And one of them is featuring our pastor, Mary Alice Birdwhistle. I want to say a word of warm welcome, and I want to say thank you to both Mitch and Cliff for the important work that they're doing to acknowledge and empower women in ministry. We pray that through these films, we will see God in new ways. This week, we are continuing in our worship series of the practice of paying attention. Our first week, we worshiped around the idea of paying attention to see opportunity. Last week, our theme was paying attention to see injustice. And this week, we are centering ourselves around the idea of paying attention to see God. Thomas Merton says the following about seeing God. Life is this simple. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent, and the divine is shining through it all the time. What if we paid attention close enough to see the divine that is shining through this world all the time? Just like Moses, all it takes for us to see a burning bush nearby is the act of turning aside and opening our hearts to listen. I hope that this morning of worship will inspire you to see God in new and meaningful ways. Let's worship together.
O God of Moses, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Peter, James, and John, we gather here this morning because you are also our God. Our prayer is that you will arrest our attention, open our eyes, so that we may behold your glory. Enable us to be attuned to your presence in the world around us, so that we may join you in the redemption of your creation. Unstop our ears this morning and in the days that follow, so that we may hear and heed your call. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
I would like to invite all of the children to join me in the front for the children's message. Good morning. It is good to see all of you this morning. So our story today is from the book of Exodus, and it is about Moses, but even more so, it is about God. And we will read this out of the Children of God Storybook Bible. When Moses grew into a man, he looked after his father-in-law's sheep and goats in the desert. One day he saw a bush burning, but to his amazement, the leaves were still green. His heart was pounding as he walked closer. Moses, Moses, God called out from the bush. Moses shook and covered his face with his hands. Here I am, he said. Take off your sandals. You are on holy ground. Moses did as he was told. I am the God of your ancestors. I promised Abraham that I would watch over his family and give them a land flowing with milk and honey. I have heard the cries of the Hebrew people. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Who am I that anyone would listen to me? Moses asked. Moses, I need you to be my lips and my ears and my eyes and my hands so that I may free my children. Who will I say has sent me? Tell them I am who I am sent you. Moses, still trembling and scared, so God said, do not be afraid, my child. I will be with you. Maybe you've heard this story before, but what is one thing in it that surprised you? Mm -hmm. Uh huh. All the plagues that comes later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The bush was still green and it was on fire. Yeah. I wonder why God from a burning bush. Isn't that so out of the ordinary and different? One thing that struck me in this story is what God says at the very, very end. When Moses is scared and trembling, God says, do not be afraid. I will be with you. You are my child and I will not leave you alone. Where you go, I will go. It's a promise that God will go with him and be present with him as he follows God's call. Here this month, a lot of us are starting new things, aren't we? What are you starting this month? School. school. Yeah. A lot of us are starting a new school year. Some of us are at new schools. Some of us have new after-school activities. A couple of us have recently moved into a new house in a new neighborhood. And as many of you know, I'm about to move to San Antonio and start a new job as a chaplain in a hospital. And in all of these changes and new things, our Bible story today reminds us that God is always with us. When we walk into a new class at school or start a new activity where we don't know anybody, God is with us there. And God is going to be with me in San Antonio too. God goes with us wherever we go. That's a promise from this story. So this month, I want to encourage you to pay attention in all of the new places that you go and look for God and know that God is with you. Do you think that you can do that this month? Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for always being with us. Thank you for not leaving us alone. Help us to look for you and see you in our lives. God, I pray for these children that you would bless them and keep them, God. Continue to be present with them. In Jesus' name, amen.
are paying attention, let's sing the song, What Does the Lord Require of You? This is a song that's new for us, so we're going to take a moment to learn it. Give us a pitch. Here we go. Let's all sing the first line. What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? One more time, just that line again. What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? The Lord requires that you sing out and be confident here, okay? So let's start with that, okay? Now, the second line, justice, ready, and go. Justice, kindness, walk humbly with your God. Let's do that one again. Now, justice and sing. Justice, kindness, walk humbly with your God. And then the third one is the challenge, okay? It starts there. And one, to seek justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Again, to seek justice, good job, and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Okay, now here's what we're going to do with this. We're going to sing all the way through. So like one line, one line, one line going to do that twice, okay? Everybody singing together. Then everybody over here is going to sing the first line twice, okay? Then you all are going to sing the second line while they sing the first line. You all are going to follow Trey and sing the third line, okay? And we'll do that a little bit and then we'll end, okay? All right, here we go. So easy and then challenging. Let's all stand together. All right. Okay, from the beginning, all together. Now, what does the Lord require of All right, you may be seated. A reading from the book of Exodus. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes were dazzling, became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Allie announced to the youth, their parents, and the volunteers that this summer's mission trip was going to be to Colorado Springs. We were both very excited. Having both grown up in South Texas, our exposure to mountains or even hills was very limited outside of a trip that we took to New Mexico. There was a definite exhilaration in preparing for the trip. I googled Colorado Springs elevation, 6,000 feet, with Pikes Peak right down the street from First Baptist Church. The drive to Colorado definitely did not disappoint. In the midst of our journey, we took a potty break at our rest stop in New Mexico, just miles away from a dormant volcano. The views were breathtaking and the air was crisp and cool. Our arrival at First Baptist Colorado Springs and our first morning exceeded our expectations of the beauty that awaited us. On our first morning, the pastor of FEC Colorado Springs took us on a tour of the beautiful, nearly 150-year-old church and we made the treacherous climb to the top of the bell tower. The view from the top, besides being the most Instagrammable picture I've ever taken, was an awe-inspiring reminder of God's majesty seen in creation. Yet we were quickly turned to notice God's presence in a very different way. As we prepared to get to work on our first day, the students were excited and ready to serve others. Evan and I worked along the high school students, and our first assignment was to clean out two rooms that had become virtually unusable because of the amount of stuff in them. Uh, the students attacked this job with diligence. 
Perhaps a bit too much diligence because we accidentally threw away a Sunday school teacher's markers and got Allie in trouble, but that's a story for another time. We quickly finished the job and were amazed at the way that God was using the students to do great work for the people of FBC Colorado Springs. In the evening, our students did awesome work leading music, acting out Bible lessons, and assisting in crafts and recreation for Vacation Bible School. We were nothing but proud of the way that they were serving God. And then, Allie did the unthinkable. On Tuesday night, she announced to the youth that for the remainder of the trip, she would be taking up all cell phones after breakfast and not returning them until after Vacation Bible School. The reaction was stunned silence and then, oddly, acceptance. On our first cell phone-free day, we walked through downtown to a nonprofit called Family Promise to spend the day working on various tasks. The small, unassuming house where families receive resources to get back on their feet was quickly enlivened by the nearly 20 people that came to work. As always, we went about our assignments eagerly, and in the words of the scripture from our devotional the day before, I thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. At one point, I walked uh, from the front yard of the house where a group was cutting back overgrown bushes, through the living room where another group sorted and cleaned toys for children, and to the back parking lot where the rest repainted parking lines and later washed cars, and I was in awe of our hard work. It was truly a great moment to watch our students at work. The family, oh, the manager of Family Promise told us that the projects that we had completed in just a few hours had been planned for years and that our help was greatly appreciated. The week continued and the students expressed their thankfulness to be without their phones. They said the absence of distraction led them to be closer in contact with friends and people with whom they didn't have a strong relationship. They were able to pay attention to what was around them all along. All good things must come to an end, and as we journeyed back to Waco, one student said, what if we had a week like this at Calvary, where we all stayed at the church and did stuff for our community? Another said, it was crazy to see the mountains in Colorado, but I bet people there would think Texas is really pretty too. It was a poignant reminder that God is here with us in Waco too, and we just have to look. The place where we see the Lord clearly is in our youth. Thanks be to God. to read a few additional passages for us where we left off in Exodus 3, starting in verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters, 
Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Ammonites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you will see that it is I who sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Well, what shall I say then? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, you are a rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in her book, The Preaching Life, Barbara Brown Taylor tells a story about how, as a young girl, she would entertain herself on rainy afternoons with a giant book full of word puzzles and picture games. And of all the different activities, her favorite was the one that asked you to search for the hidden figures that were cleverly disguised within the scene on the page. And so, for instance, the caption might say, how many animals do you see in this picture? And she would look at the page for a while, not seeing any animals at first. However, after staring at it and looking at it from all sorts of angles, she would suddenly spot a giraffe hidden within the artwork on the page. And then a monkey. Soon all sorts of animals would begin popping out of the woodwork in what at first appeared to be a completely ordinary scene. She writes, it was for me a source of unending delight to confront the ordinary in full confidence that it would yield the extraordinary. If only I looked hard enough. If only I kept at it and did not give up. As best I can say it, she says, this is the same impulse that fires my faith in God even now. Day after day, I look at my life the lives of my neighbors and the world in which we all live, and I hunt the hidden figure, the presence that still moves just beneath the surface of every created thing. Sometimes I can only make out a hand or a foot or an all-seeing eye, but I know it is there even when I am not able to see it whole. Well, Barbara Brown Taylor beautifully articulates what we have been exploring together at Calvary over the past few weeks, that some of the most important spiritual work you and I can ever do is to practice paying attention, to slow down, to notice, to be present, 
to listen carefully, to take a closer look, to confront the ordinary in full confidence that it will yield the extraordinary, and to not give up. And we have seen the significance of paying attention over and over again throughout the book of Exodus. In our first story of this series, Pharaoh's daughter sees a basket floating down the Nile River one day as she is taking a bath. But she's paying attention. And when she opens up this basket, she discovers that inside is a Hebrew baby boy, one of the boys her father had commanded to be killed. So she rescues the boy, naming him Moses, which means I drew him out of the water. In last week's text, as Moses is growing up, he begins to realize that everyone who looks like him, all of his people, are living in slavery. He can't not pay attention to that, right? One day he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew to death, so he jumps in to help saving the Hebrew, but killing the Egyptian. And when he discovers that Pharaoh is on the lookout for him, trying to kill Moses for what he has done, Moses flees to Midian, which is where this week's story picks back up. And so here in Exodus 3, Moses is tending to his father-in-law's sheep in the wilderness at the mountain of Horeb when he sees something out of the ordinary that catches his attention. It's a bush. It seems to be on fire, and yet it does not burn up. And he says to himself, I must turn aside and see this great sight. Now, while this may seem like an insignificant detail, if we are paying attention, I don't think it is at all. Because you see, what is so interesting to me is that God does not plant this burning bush smack dab in the middle of Moses' path. It's not in his direct line of vision. It is off the path a bit. And Moses has to stop what he was doing, turn aside, shift directions in order to get a closer look. It makes me wonder what would have happened if Moses hadn't turned aside that day. What if he had been so distracted by all of his sheep or so troubled by everything that's happening to him that he hadn't even noticed this burning bush in the distance? Or what if he had noticed but thought to himself, I've got too much on my plate right now. I don't have time to take my sheep off the road today and go on some kind of wild goose hunt. I'll just come back and see that burning bush thing another time. But Moses doesn't do that. He stops, turns aside, and takes a closer look. And it's only when Moses turns aside that God actually calls out to him by name and says, Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals because the ground where you are standing is holy ground. You know, it is particularly interesting to me that Moses has this divine encounter with God in the middle of the wilderness. In fact, the name of the place where Moses encounters the burning bush, Mount Horeb, literally means wasteland. This ground that God calls holy is a wilderness wasteland. And when you think about it, there probably couldn't be a more accurate name of the place in which Moses finds himself. Moses is in a wasteland. As a child, he had been taken from his family. Do we know any stories like that going on right now? 
And all of Moses' people are in slavery, so he can't go back home even if he wanted to. That sounds oddly familiar too, doesn't it? And then Moses had tried to intervene in the injustices surrounding him, but he killed an Egyptian trying to save a Hebrew, and his secret has been discovered. And so now he's a fugitive living in a foreign place, hiding from Pharaoh, who is plotting to kill him. Moses has absolutely nowhere else to go, and he has no idea what to do next. But perhaps it is only in the wastelands of our lives that we begin to hope for God to show up in a big way. Maybe it's there that we truly learn to pay attention. I asked some of you this week to tell me about the times when you have experienced God in unexpected places, and I was completely caught off guard by your answers. Because when I asked you to tell me about encountering God, you didn't tell me about your mountaintop moments. You told me about your pain. You told me about times of doubt, fear, anxiousness, and unknowing. You told me about your own wilderness wastelands. One person said she experienced God's closeness in a hut in South Africa surrounded by AIDS and TB. Another at an AA meeting downtown. Kay Dunlap said she saw God in Houston in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. And Hank DeHay said at a palliative care unit in a hospital in Winston-Salem. Jim Heston shared the following story with me. He said it was December. Jody and I were both finishing our student teaching and getting married the next day. I had just signed a contract to work with Waco ISD at Waco High, and Jody was promised a job at Carver Academy Middle School. We had found a tiny little apartment and were planning our honeymoon. Then the day before our wedding, we were both called and given the news that Waco ISD had misplaced millions of dollars, and the school board would not honor either of our contracts. We felt shocked and stuck and we had just signed a lease. And it was a trying couple of months as we struggled to piece together substitute teaching jobs and temporary work. But in those first few months of our marriage, somehow we knew that God was with us. We felt God's presence so strongly day after day after day. Jennifer Bondarouk, one of our young adults at Calvary who works as an ER nurse in Temple, said this. She said, I experience God's presence within the four walls of the ER almost nightly. Specifically, I almost always feel God's presence in tragedy. I see suicides, homicides, and car accidents every single day. When the patient rolls into the room, you can literally hear a pin drop. And yet I feel God in that space, in the midst of trauma. When we are doing CPR, intubating, or giving the family 30 seconds to possibly say goodbye before we run the patient to the OR, I feel a certain holiness settle that's hard to describe, knowing that even in the tragedy I'm witnessing, I am also witnessing a genuine display of a love unlike anything else I see in my day-to-day life. And it gives me the hope to keep going back and keep what I'm doing what I'm doing day after day after day.
You know, I can't help but wonder if the wilderness moments in our lives force us to pay attention. These moments when the distractions are somehow sifted away and only the most important things remain. Moments when perhaps we can somehow see more clearly than we can at any other point in our life. I especially love the story that Carolyn Cole has shared with me about her daughter, Allie. Allie was in her 20s and living with a life-threatening illness called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, an illness that ultimately took Allie's life when she was 23 years old. One day, Allie and Carolyn were driving to yet another doctor's appointment in Dallas, and Allie was looking out the car window, and she said, Mom, I see colors differently now. I see the most vivid, beautiful colors that I've never seen before. And I hear music differently, too. I've never heard music in this way at any other time in my life. One day, Mom, you'll see it, and you'll hear it, too. Carolyn said Allie shared these things with such excitement, fully embracing this incredible newness, this ability to see what she had never been able to see before. Friends, what would it look like if we could see God's world like Allie saw it? What if we could see these brightly colored burning bushes that are all around us? Ultimately, seeing the burning bush helps Moses to discover what God is calling him to do next. God is calling him to go back to Pharaoh and to deliver the Hebrews from slavery in the land of Egypt. Not a small thing, right? This one seemingly insignificant moment of paying attention completely alters the course of Moses' life and ultimately the history of Israel. Moses isn't so sure about how all this is going to go down. And so over the next two chapters, Moses questions God over and over again because he just can't imagine doing what God is asking him to do. He says, God, who am I that you would ask me to go to Pharaoh? And what if they ask me who sent you to do this? What is his name? Or what if they don't believe me or take me seriously? What if I can't speak eloquently and clearly enough? What am I supposed to do then? But God says out of that burning bush, I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent me to you. As you all know, I've spent the past couple days with my new friends, Mitch and Cliff, working on this documentary about the real lives of women in ministry. And over the course of this weekend, I've shared with them about my story, about how hard it was to envision myself as a pastor, because growing up, I never saw someone who looked like me doing what I felt called to do. And it took me years to begin to imagine myself in this role to embrace this calling that God had given me. And even when I began to study scripture and understand it in new ways, even when I discovered that there actually are women serving as pastors, not only in our Baptist world, but in so many Christian traditions, then I thought, okay, maybe God can call some women to do this, but I could never do that. <laughs> I would never do that, knock on wood. What would my friends think? What would my family think? 
What kind of church would ever call someone like me? But a few years ago, I realized that whether or not I could ever see myself as a pastor, Calvary, you saw me. You saw me as a pastor. And ultimately, I found the courage to begin to see God's dream for me because of you. And so when I think about the burning bush moment of my life, Calvary, I think of you. What might that moment be for you all? What person or community or experience has given you the courage to really see God's dream for you? And then to begin to live it out. Or in what ways do you need to see right now? What you've never been able to see before about your life. Because I just can't help but wonder what big and bold and colorful and beautiful dreams God has for all of us that we just can't see on our own. And I truly believe that finding the courage to see the world and to see ourselves as God sees us begins with paying attention. It is some of the most important spiritual work that you and I can ever do. And so as we end today, I would like to invite us to close our eyes for a moment. Close your eyes and picture a scene from your life. Maybe you're hurrying to eat breakfast as you are rushing to get out the door in the morning. Maybe you're sitting in a meeting with colleagues at work. Maybe you're walking down the crowded hallways at school. Maybe you're here at Calvary. Maybe you're in a difficult space, a wilderness space right now. Picture that too. Picture a scene that is significant in your life right now. Pay attention to what is happening around you. Look at the faces of the people who are part of your scene. What colors do you see? What sounds do you hear? What do you smell? Now I want to invite you to look a little closer. Where do you see God hidden within this scene? What burning bushes are just out of your eyes reach? What do you need the courage to see in this scene that you've never been able to see before? What do you need the courage to believe that you've never been able to believe before? As Mary Oliver says, these are the instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. And tell about it. And so, God, I ask that you would help us to be people who practice paying attention. God, help us to see colors that we haven't seen and music that we haven't heard. Help us to notice those burning bushes that are just along our drive to work or our walk to school or just in the corner of our eye. They're there. God, help us to see. 
Help us to see the big and bold and beautiful dreams you have for all of our lives. Give us courage to see the things that we can't see on our own. God, flood us with your Holy Spirit that gives us big and bold, bold and beautiful imaginations. And help us to walk in the ways of Jesus, who saw everything in this good world that you had created. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, ultimately, we are invited to pay attention in this world because there is a God who pays attention to every one of us. God knows exactly what we brought with us into this room today. God knows our pains, our struggles, and God cares about all the different things that matter to us because God cares about us. We have never, not for an instant, left God's sight. And God invites us into this life of following him and walking in the way of Jesus, who showed us what it looks like to pay attention in God's world. And so if you would like to talk with one of our ministers about what it means and looks like to follow Jesus, we would love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary. Or maybe you want to join our community of faith here at Calvary, where we seek to know and to follow Jesus together in the best ways we know how. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. And so however God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back, ready to visit with you and pray with you as we continue in worship.
Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, God, creator of all, source of all goodness and love, please receive our heartfelt gratitude in this time of worship set aside for giving back to you. Thank you for all the graces and blessings and even the wastelands that you are showered down on us to help us and encourage us. We thank you for big things like our faith and religious heritage, mundane things like food and shelter, wonderful things like health, and especially for the love we have for one another, our family and friends. Dear Father, in your infinite generosity, please grant us continued grace as we offer you now these tokens and gifts from the abundance with which you fill our lives. We lift this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Just wanted to share a few things for us to remember as we're leaving today. First, if you are attending the coordinating council meeting, we will be meeting upstairs in the young adults room. We had some um, air conditioning challenges this morning downstairs, so we'll be meeting upstairs for a cool meeting, and we will begin at 12.30 p.m. As we know that there are lots of things going on with school getting ready to start, um, we encourage you to sign up to be a mentor at West Avenue Elementary School. We had around 20 mentors last year, and this year there is a citywide effort um, with churches all across Waco to engage in mentoring. So we would love to see even more people engaged in mentoring students at West Avenue this fall. Next week, remember to bring your backpacks filled with school supplies for West Avenue. Um, if you need a school supply list, there are copies. I think they're on green paper in the Welcome Center as you leave today. Another thing to bring next week, besides a backpack of school supplies for a student, is your own bag, your backpack, your work bag, your school bag, whatever you call it, for our blessing of the backpacks. We would love for all ages to participate in this time together as we start the year. So get your bags ready, and then we will bring them into the sanctuary as you come into church and hang them all along the pews, and that's a really special time of blessing. We are excited that John Weeks, who is the new principal at West Avenue, will actually be with us in worship next week with his family as well. So we are looking forward to that time together. And then just a reminder that the Intergenerational Choir will start meeting this Wednesday night, right, at 7 p.m., and I know that they would love to have you join them this semester. All of our other regular Wednesday night activities, including dinner, will begin that week after Labor Day, so that's Wednesday, September 5th. 
Well, we learned last week and we heard about in the children's message that this is Emily Davis's last Sunday with us. Emily, would you come down here for a moment? Emily has accepted a hospital chaplain residency position this coming year in San Antonio. And Emily, we just want to say a huge thank you for the many ways you have ministered here at Calvary, not only with our children, but with all of us. Your thoughtfulness, your pastoral heart, your kind spirit have been such gifts to us. I think this whole side of the sanctuary especially appreciates the addition of the worship cart that has been a much-needed and welcome addition in our worship space to engage our children in our time together. And know that all of the infant preschool and children's Sunday school classes are grateful for your support and encouragement and intentionality. On behalf of the children and parents, I want to thank you for all of the children's Bible clubs and camps, the baptism class this spring, special Advent activities, and all of the meaningful ways that you have helped our children learn to follow God and walk in the way of Jesus. And then on behalf of the staff, we want to thank you for your friendship, your hard work, your careful eye, and your support. As I was thinking about this in the context of worship today, I thought, I don't know many people who pay attention more than you, and I've really appreciated your careful eye and the ways that you help us to see things that we don't always see on our own. So we have some friends who would like to present you with a few gifts today on behalf of the Calvary family to thank you for your ministry in this space. Can we share a big round of applause for Emily? Oh, no, you can't sit down yet. You got to come back. Sorry. You got to come back. Yeah. You can leave that. Yeah. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Uh, Just so everyone knows, as is our Calvary tradition, there is cake in the Welcome Center today. And so we hope you will celebrate with Emily and have some cake as you leave today. Um, But as we often do when God is sending someone out from this congregation, we want to have a time of laying on of hands for Emily. And so I would like to invite anyone, especially children, who would like to come forward and lay a hand on Emily as a prayer of blessing during our benediction to come forward at this time, and then I'll lead us in our benediction. And now may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. And may the Spirit abound in you so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen.
now in peace. Amen.